Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Our guest today is Jim Quick. Jim, how are you? Vishen, I've been looking forward to this. It's so good to have you here back. So, we're actually recording this in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. The last time Jim was here in Kuala Lumpur was 2001. It was 2010. Which is why. It was 2010. 2010. So Jim and I have been friends for seven, eight years. We've explored the Malaysian jungles together. We've been to the Amazon rainforest together. But this is really the first year Jim and I have been working seriously on a couple of projects. And uh, let me tell you why this man is so fascinating. Jim is the brain coach for many of the top performers in the world. And I kid you not when I say top performer, I'm not using that name in any form of exaggeration. Jim just got off the set of the upcoming X-Men movie where he trains the actors of the X-Men on the skills to remember their lines. He has been at SpaceX, was it, training Elon Musk, his employees, and Elon's children on the power of memory, focus, speed learning. So Jim, your story is incredible. I'd love to get started. I think my journey is very similar to a lot of people's journey. You know, when I speak at events like A-Fest, you saw I do a demonstration where I memorize names. We brought people right on stage and we memorize everyone's name. And they gave me an, a list of numbers and I memorize them forwards and backwards. And I always tell people that I don't do this to impress you. I really do this to express to you what's really possible. Because every single person listening, you could do that and so much more. And that's why I love everything you're doing here at Mind Valley because it's about transformation. It's about transcending. It's about ending the trance ending this trance that somehow our potential, our intelligence, our abilities are limited to like our fixed, like our shoe size. And I know this because I grew up with learning disabilities. You know, a lot of people don't know that when I was a child, I had a bad accident. I had brain injury, a head injury, and I had learning difficulties all through school. And I struggled. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, not having focus, having people repeat things over and over again, and we don't, I didn't quite understand it. I couldn't read. It actually took me an extra three, four years just to learn how to read. I actually taught myself how to read by reading comic books late at night. When my parents thought I was sleeping, I was underneath the covers with my flashlight and reading all about superheroes and something about the superheroes and good versus evil and one person can make a difference and hope and help just brought words to life. And that's how I learned how to read. And you know what's funny, Jim? I never knew that about you. I knew you were a brilliant mind, but... Until recently, I did not know that you had brain injury as a child. And that's the thing. A lot of people, your brain is very resilient, but it's also very fragile. You know? And so I got to work with one of the actors, Will Smith. He filmed a movie called Concussion, which is all about the football league and the challenges a lot of football players have with repeated concussions and you know, how it leads to depression and suicide and challenges like that. And so definitely protect your brain. My goal is for people to fall in love with their brain again. You know, love your brain, love learning again. My journey, really, my inspiration was my desperation. All through school, I struggled. 
it wasn't something that came easy. And when I was 18, I hit a wall in college and I just ended up, because I was studying so much in, in the library, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't doing all the self-care. I ended up passing out one night, I fell down a flight of stairs, I hit my head again, and I woke up in the hospital two days later. I was wasting away, I was 117 pounds at that point in my life, and I thought I died. And it was a very dark time. And when I woke up, a different part of me woke up also thinking there has to be a better way. And when I had that thought, the universe replied with a mug of tea. The nurse came in, gave me some tea, and on the mug had a picture of Albert Einstein and a quote that said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And that really hits home. Like we all have these problems, right? All through life. And I think people's biggest problems, they feel like they shouldn't have any problems, but problems make us grow. You know, going through struggles help us find our strengths. And really, these challenges, problems could really define us or they could develop us. And I chose the latter. It made me think a new question. I think questions really are the answer. Asking new questions, getting new answers. I think some of the most amazing geniuses in the world, they ask better questions. And you know this from your book, The Power of Questions, and our self-talk and our beliefs. So I wanted to solve this, um, instead of problems, I use the word puzzles. I wanted to solve this puzzle about how does my brain work so I could work my brain. And I started studying everything, the kind of books that we love, you know, the books on neuroscience, adult learning theory, meta learning, speed reading, memory enhancement. I wanted to understand how my memory works so I could work my memory. I read somewhere that we only use 10% of our brain's potential. We use our total brain, but only in terms of its potential, a very small, limited amount. And that's our conscious mind. You know, imagine how amazing our unconscious mind is. And I wanted to figure out how to access more of it because I felt like I had a very slow brain. And I started studying this material and then within 60 days, the light switch went on and I just, my life transformed. My grades improved and with my grades, my life improved on top of it. And the reason why I'm here today, all these years later is I started to tutor people on it because I was so upset and I was so angry that we weren't taught this back in school that I suffered almost a decade and a half because I wasn't equipped for the modern day world that we live in because I feel like school taught us what to learn, math, history, science, Spanish, but there was very little taught on how to learn, how to think for yourself, how to solve problems, how to innovate, how to be creative, how to focus, concentrate, read faster, remember more. And so I started teaching and then one of my tutoring students she was a freshman in college. She read 30 books in 30 days. And I know you're an avid reader. Imagine that though, 30, a book 30 a day. books in 30 days. Like think about it, everyone listening, like if you were to go online and, or go to the store and buy 30 books, what would you buy books on? What would you wanna learn? Mandarin, music, martial arts, you know, any of these things, marketing. And so um, she absorbed it. I wanted to find out not how she did it. I know exactly how she did it, but I wanna know why. Because I struggled so much with school, I always wanted to find out what motivates people to act, right? Motivation or your motive for action. I found out that her mother, she tells me, was dying of terminal cancer, was given two months to live, only 60 days. That's what doctors said. And the books she was reading, though, were books on health. They were books on wellness because she was determined to save her mother's life. I wished her luck on that, sending love and light. Six months later, I get a call from this young lady and she's crying and she's crying on the phone and I can't get a word out of her. And when she stops, I find out there are tears of joy that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how, they don't know why. They doctors called it a miracle, but her mother attributed 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter who learned it from all these books. And that's where I realized at that moment, I realized in my soul, in my heart, in my mind, that if knowledge is power, learning is your superpower. That knowledge is power, learning is your superpower, and it's a superpower that's within all of us. The only challenge is 
we weren't prepared to unlock that those superpowers because a formal education, traditional 20th education, prepared us for a 20th century world. We're talking about working on farms, working in factories. It was really modeled around the industrial age. It was cookie cutter, assembly line, one size fits all approach towards uh, you know production, if you will. And so now we live in an age, you mentioned Elon Musk, we live in an age of autonomous electric cars and spaceships that are going out to Mars. But our vehicle of choice when it comes to learning is like a horse and buggy. And I know people who are listening could identify with it. If you're listening to this right now and you feel overloaded, you feel overwhelmed, like there's too much information, too little time, like you're trying to study something, it's like taking a sip of water out of a fire hose when you do a Google search for something, right? That's the supervillain number one, it's digital overload. But the second villain, if we're talking about superheroes, because you know the size of the hero is determined by the size of the villain, you have digital overload, but you also have digital distraction. Never before in human history have we been more distracted. I mean, how do we regain our focus, our concentration in a world full of distraction, full of app notifications and social media alerts and texts and websites and blogs and podcasts? And there's so much information that, you know, our brain is rewired and we can't get things done. And you can't have a level of success and joy and peace of mind if you can't just focus on the things that you need to. And then the third supervillain, I would say, in this digital world that our generations before us didn't have to face, besides digital overload and overwhelm, digital distraction is digital dementia. This is a new term in healthcare. I was training all the uh, the doctors at the Cleveland Clinic for brain health, helping them in the United States. That's like the research center for brain aging. They do research and caregiving, but now we're setting up a whole new area of prevention and lifestyle. Like, how do you optimize your brain for amazing, like, mental longevity? You know, you have an ageless mind. And what role does diet and your thoughts and the people you spend time with and sleep and, you know, brain protection and stress management, where does that play a role? And so one of the things is this new term called digital dementia, that we're so reliant on our smart devices. It keeps our schedules, our to-dos, it memorizes every phone number, it does simple math for us, which is great because it's convenient. But what doctors are saying is that people aren't using their brains. They've lost the capacity even to memorize a simple four-digit passcode or what hotel room that they're in or where they park their car or remember a simple name because we rely too much on our digital devices. Our brains are like a muscle, but it's use it or lose it. And we're not building those mental muscles on a regular basis. And so one of the reasons we created the Super Brain Quest together is to be able to train people's brain on a daily basis, 10 minutes a day, because just like you go and I mentioned Will Smith, I was just with him at the Australian Open and I asked him what his daily habits are. And we, I know you and I have had these discussions about routines and habits because first you create your habits and then your habits create you. He's like, Jim, every day I run and I read. You know, I do something physical every single day and I do something mental every single day to exercise those two parts of me. And I think all of us have to schedule that every single day because if we don't, you know, if you put your arm in a sling for six months, it doesn't grow stronger. It doesn't even stay the same. It grows weaker and it atrophies and thus digital dementia. And so my mission here, because I was at the age of nine, a teacher pointed at me talking to another adult thinking I wasn't paying attention or I was just not smart enough to understand, saying that's the boy with a broken brain. And, you know, that stayed with me for so long and because that forms your identity. And literally, as for those people, parents or anyone who interacts with a child, your external voice becomes their internal voice. You know, your external voice becomes their internal voice to themselves. And so you have to be very mindful and stand guard to your mind, you know, when we're talking about things that are disempowering. So I'm on a mission right now. I want to go from the boy with the broken brains. Now I want to leave no brain left behind. I think that there's not only a gap in financial resources, 
with individuals, you know, this divide, but there's also a learning divide. There's a knowledge divide. There's a difference between those who know and those who just don't know. And one of the ways to be able to bridge that is to be able to accelerate their learning, accelerate the velocity of them to be able to absorb information. Because the one constant in the future, and I know you and I are very active in Peter Diamandis's work and Singular University and XPRIZE and so on, you know, it's not going to get any easier. All these three supervillains, there's going to be more overload, more distraction, you know, more digital dementia. And the world is changing so fast. The only thing that's constant is change. They say that somebody graduating school now is going to have anywhere from 10 to 14 different careers. I read recently. I mean, that's insane. Not jobs. I mean, totally 10 to 14 different careers. Because different, even because verticals. Because the world yeah, is changing. Because nobody could predict where the world's going to be three or four years from now. And so the only constant is change. So this, you and I have had this conversation before that if you know you're a genie of sorts, you you know, with uh, the code of the extraordinary mind, it's like people become their own genies. And if you ask somebody, a genie, if they're going to grant you one wish, what would you wish for? The obvious thing is more wishes. That's the hack, right? Around getting more out of that, which is really what people want, productivity. They want more output for their input. But if you were to ask me, if I was their learning genie, if I could learn any one skill or subject and, and people could learn that, what would you choose? It would be learning because learning how to learn, as we've talked about these meta skills, right, right. It, uh, and you could apply it towards anything. And if you could choose one thing to learn, it would be learning how to learn. If schools could teach one thing to kids, it would be teaching them how to learn so that they can start absorbing knowledge themselves. And this shift in thinking changes a lot of different things. There's a whole category of it. It's called meta skills. Meta skills are skills that enhance your other skills. And learning how to learn is one of the most powerful meta skills. I just want to share a story of why this is so important. So a lot of people think, why should I learn to improve my memory? Because with smartphones, everything is just stored on this computer in my pocket. But in a world today when everyone has a smartphone, having a more powerful brain still gives you an edge. So I learned a technique from Jim on how to remember faces. And a couple of months ago, I was in Munich, Germany, and I was giving a speech to about 300 people. And then they came to sign books. And it was a two-day seminar. So this was on day one. So I would sign a book for someone and I would apply Jim's technique and associate their name to their face. And by day two, I could remember the names of about a hundred out of 300, not everyone, but a hundred out of 300. And then the audience started getting really impressed by this. When someone raised their hand in the audience, I would call them out by their name. If I saw someone in the hallway, I would call them out by their name. And at the end, everybody was talking about how nice Vision is, how friendly he is, because he remembered everyone's name. But here's the interesting thing. I wasn't any nicer or friendlier than I normally am. But simply remembering someone's name changed the entire impression people had of me. It made people feel so much better. You know, I think, was it How to Win Friends and Influence People, that classic book by Dale Carnegie? He says, your name is the most important word in the English language to you, right? And so that simple technique changed my entire ability to function in that space. And that's where being able to have a super brain gives you an incredible edge. Yeah, I believe just that, even that example, it's a real superpower, being able to remember someone's name. I mean, how many people who are listening have ever met somebody, you get their name, and then seconds later, name just disappears out of your mind. You know, once the handshake breaks, it just falls right through the floor. Or if it's not a short-term issue, it's like a long-term issue. You're out at the grocery store, you're out at the gym, somebody taps you on your shoulder, you turn around, you see somebody you recognize, but for the life of you, you don't know that person's name, you don't know where you met that person. And what makes it worse is when that person has the audacity, the nerve to remember your name. Or <laughs> you're in a position, you're talking to somebody and somebody you know walks up and you have to introduce two people together and you don't know one of their names. I mean, it's very embarrassing. But I think 
The reason why it stands out as a skill is nobody takes the time to do it, but the meta message that we're communicating to somebody when we forget their name is what? That they're not important, they're important. that right. we don't care about them. And people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Ooh, that, that's like that. why a name is the sweetest sound to a person's ears. I mean, think about the emotion attached to a name. It's one of the first words children learn how to write and how much love and reinforcement and encouragement are they given for that. And they associate that at a very early age. And so for a lot of people, that's their identity, right? I remember I was running a marathon and, and I knew I didn't have a lot of friends watching me because I was in a different state at the time. And somebody yelled out at one of the markers, go, go Jim. And I turn around, and I look. And even though I know I don't know the person consciously, I still look because you would name it just, and then right. someone said, go quick. And I still look, even though they're saying go quicker, right? And then so a name is very powerful like that. And so everybody could learn to be able to remember someone's name. It's the number one etiquette skill there is. And for those of you listening, stay tuned because Jim is going to teach you a technique called the FDR technique on remembering names so that what I just shared, this could be a story in your life too. And I know a lot of you, as you're listening to this, are super interested in Jim's work and the techniques that he puts out there. I want you to know that we have produced a ton of really gorgeously filmed videos with Jim. It's all on Mindvalley's YouTube channel. Simply go to YouTube. The channel name is Mindvalley. There's a playlist called Jim Quick, and there you can learn techniques from Jim. And the reason why I want you to go check out the YouTube channel is because some of these techniques, it really helps if you see the video rather than simply hear this in audio. For example, there's an incredible video. It's about to hit a million views and it's of Jim's daily habits. And you got to watch that. I think it's about five or seven minutes, but it lays out 10 different things Jim does in the morning just to optimize his brain. So go check it out. Mind Valley's YouTube channel. The playlist is called Jim Quick. Jim, let's continue. So how do you remember someone's name, right? This is something that everybody wants to be able to do because if you could walk into a room and meet 20 strangers and leave saying goodbye to all 20 of them using their name, I mean, that, who are they all gonna remember? They're gonna remember us, right? So it's a standout skill. And so I would remember really fast, remember first mom, M-O-M, very, very quickly, three things. If you ever forget something, usually one of these three things is missing. And I'll share with you the FDR technique. The first M stands for motivation. So I just want you to do a psychology check and check in with your heart and why do you want to remember someone's name? Because, for example, a lot of people forget people's names, yet if there was a suitcase of a million dollars or whatever the equivalent is, and because I know everyone's listening to this from around the world, but a million dollars currency there, if you just remember the name of the next person you meet that's yours or you or your favorite charity, are you going to remember that person's name? Everybody's going to remember that person's name. So as your super brain coach, I want to ask you a question. Were you able to remember it before? Yeah, of course. What technique did you use? You're like, I didn't use any technique. So notice it had nothing to do with your capabilities. It had everything to do whether or not you wanted to or not. So I want to get past this because a lot of people say, oh, I'm so forgetful. I'm horrible with names. I'm, I'm getting older, whatever it is. You remember the things you want to remember. You remember the people that you're attracted to. You remember the people that you want to do business with. So what's the tactic? Ask yourself, why do I want to remember this person's name? Maybe it's to show the person respect. Maybe it's to make a new friendship. Maybe it's to do some business. Maybe it's to practice these skills we listen to on this podcast. So that's very important is first check in and come up with reasons. Because here's the thing, reasons reap results. Reasons reap results. You need to come up with a couple of reasons and you'll remember the name. So the first M is motivation. Motivation. The O stands for observation. And so a lot of people blame their retention when they forget someone's name. It's not your retention as much as it is your attention. 
right? So paying attention. And the key is to listen. Even if you write the word listen down on a sheet of paper, if you scramble the letters, it spells another word perfectly. It spells the word silent. And most people, when you really look into it and even maybe do the self-awareness test when you're beating someone, you'll notice sometimes you're not really listening. What are you doing? You're looking around. Who's more important in the room? Or if you're not distracted outside, you're distracted inside. You're having a conversation with yourself. Most people aren't listening. They're waiting for their turn to speak or they're thinking about how they're going to respond to somebody. So they're not really present. So all you have to do is be silent. And really what we're talking about here, motivation and observation, we're talking about good memory training for me is just being a memorable person or being a better person you know, being a better human being, because motivation just means you care about the person that's in front of you. So it's just training you to care more. Observation means to be present. So it's training you to be here instead of somewhere else in your mind or somewhere in the future or in the past. So I think that alone is going to be very valuable. And then finally, the last M in mom stands for mechanics. And these are the tools, the techniques, the strategies that I teach on your YouTube channel, that I do in my podcast, that we do on your super brain quest. And so one of the techniques is this thing called FDR. So President FDR, it was very notable as having this incredible memory. He would walk around, be able to remember people's names, remember their spouses' names. It was absolutely incredible. And he had a very simple mechanical skill that he would do, very simple strategy. When he would meet somebody for the first time, he would imagine their name written on their forehead. Very simple technique. He would imagine their name written across their forehead. And he would do this every single time. Now, I can make this even better for people. It's kind of like imagining a name badge on somebody's chest, or but instead, it's right on their forehead. But notice how this works. A lot of people, they forget things because of one or two things. They're not paying attention either to what they're hearing, the name, or they're not paying attention to the face. This forces you to do both. It creates this very distinct, focused awareness on the person and on the person's name. So even if it doesn't work, it still tends to work because it gets you to focus where normally you meet somebody and then you don't even focus on the name, you don't focus on the person, you wonder why you can't remember either one of them. So imagine next time you're at a wedding, you're at a business conference, you're at an event, and you're meeting somebody for the first time. When they're saying their name, picture yourself writing it right on the forehead. Now, I'm going to make this even more enhanced. So instead of just picturing their name on the forehead, we're going to make it even more memorable. So what I want you to do is when you're meeting someone the first time, imagine you're spelling their name on their forehead, but I want you to imagine you're spelling it in your favorite color marker, your very favorite color marker. And you're using your imagination here. And people say, Jim, this is very childish. Who are the fastest learners, right? Children. They're playful. They make fun of names, right? Someone's name is David, you know, and they call him David the David. And David is in therapy for years wondering what a David is. And that's what kids do to memorize names. They're playful, right? They make up rhymes, banana, fana, fofan, you know. And so that's what we're doing here. We're using your imagination because imagination is a superpower. And it's using more of your right brain instead of a left brain logical. So it's more whole brain learning. Another thing you could do to make it even more memorable is not only just picture yourself writing on their forehead in your favorite color. Imagine, do these little micro movement, little muscular movements with your fingers as if you're actually handwriting it on. I'm not saying pull your hand out and actually 
moving it right across their forehead. But little micro movements with your hand by your side it will get the kinesthetic or the muscle memory into it. Now you're using three of the main learning modalities. You hear the name, you see the name on their forehead, and then you're moving your physical body. And so you have the kinesthetic memory also. So you create this synesthesia learning where you're combining these senses together. So you're using more of your nervous system and you're more likely to remember their name. And the best thing to do about this is to really test it out for yourself. Ultimately, I think the expert is not always the person on stage or that you're listening to. It's like you are the expert of you because you know knowledge really comes down to self-knowledge and you could coach yourself. Test it on yourself and see how you do. Okay, so the first M is motivation. Right. You must have a clear motivation for why you want to remember these names. Right, because reasons reap results, it reaps rewards. And the second thing is observation. Observation, just listen. Be silent, be present with the person. And the third is mechanics. The mechanics. And these are the skills, the techniques we teach on how to read faster, how to remember languages, how to remember facts, figures, passcodes, give speeches without notes, how to remember names, step-by-step -step strategies that, that we and, teach. And the particular mechanic that you just shared with us is the FDR technique. Right. You imagine their name written on their face. Uh, right and on you their move face. your fingers as if, but secretly behind your back, you move your fingers as if yeah, you're little, writing it little, down. Little micro, Tiny movements little micro movements because it gets your attention, your awareness on this process. And you make it your favorite color. And then you look at their face and you can kind of see it right there. And even if you can't imagine it, imagine you can imagine it right on their right. forehead. Right. And I know uh, in Jim's Superbrain Quest, he goes deeper in how to remember numbers, names, languages, oh, how to so learn many. faster. It's a whole range of topics. But, um, but look, I know many of you guys are hungry for more. I want to recommend a couple of resources. For those of you who want to get serious into the study of improving your brain, definitely subscribe to Jim's podcast. Look, you're listening to this on your podcast app right now. Before you get off your phone as this podcast ends, just search for Jim's podcast and subscribe. It's bite-sized information. I think 10, 15-minute audio tracks. Super powerful stuff. Okay, Jim, where can they find your podcast? They can just go to quickbrain.com. It's kwikbrain.com or search quickbrain in your podcast. Search my name in your podcast, kwik. We do episodes on top 10 favorite brain foods or how to change your habits and all these fun little facts. But they're all like five or 10 minutes long. We basically have a private Facebook group where people post questions and I answer them and just post it up there. That's fantastic. So Jim, there are a couple of other things which I'm fascinated by in terms of what you teach. Now you read a book in 90 minutes. Approximately, yes. Oh my God, you should see the ridiculous number of books I have sitting unread on my desk. And people are constantly sending me books, you know, to ask my opinion on them. How can you help me with this? Absolutely. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do this. And I know we actually did a bonus also for Superbrain where we go way in depth in this. Wait, let me just address Superbrain because I know a couple of, you've mentioned that a couple of times and people are wondering. Superbrain is Jim's program with Mindvalley. It's designed on Mindvalley's Quest platform. So it's not a traditional course, but rather Superbrain opens up several times a year. The last batch opened up about around 45 days ago. 3,000 students join at the same time and they go through around 10 to 15 minutes a day. That's it. 10 to 15 minutes a day of brain training with gym. And at the end of 30 days, their capacity to remember names, to learn foreign languages, to read faster has accelerated. So it's been one of our highest rated programs. It was the best-selling program of Mindvalley, the singular best-selling program of Mindvalley in all of 2017. You can learn about it if you go to mindvalley.com and then visit the list of programs on mindvalley.com. Click on Meta Learning and you'll see Superbrain. And then you can explore it and you feel if this is something that you like, you can sign up to be enrolled the next time Superbrain opens itself up to the world. 
Okay, so that's super brain. Let's get on to the tip on speed reading. So a really couple quick brain hacks on reading faster. I think everybody can identify. We all go out there and buy lots of books and they sit on our shelf. And as our friend Lisa Nichols says, it becomes shelf help and not self-help. And that's a big challenge, right? I mean, why buy a book if we're not going to actually read it and absorb it? Because knowledge is not power. It's only potential power. It only comes power when we actually apply it. And so the goal here is everybody can read faster. Everybody who is here with us right now could double your reading speed. It's really possible because the challenge is we weren't taught. And so there are really quickly five obstacles to effective reading. There are five things that get in the way of us reading better, with better speed, with greater focus, with greater comprehension. So I'm going to go through them really rapidly and then give you a brain hack to boost everyone's reading speed. Number one obstacle to effective reading is this thing called lack of education. Because are we born with the ability to read? No, of course not. We weren't born and then crawl out to the waiting room and start reading magazines and stuff like that. It's a skill. And how do you improve skills? Through proper training. But here's the challenge. When's the last time you took a class called reading? How old were we? Like seven years old? Seven years old, eight years old, that's a big challenge. And so we read like a seven or an eight-year-old, but the difficulty and demand has increased so much. But how our skill base is that that's our level of proficiency. So it's time to upgrade it through proper learning. The second obstacle to effective reading for reading speed and comprehension is lack of focus. And I know everybody who's here with us can identify with this. You read a page in a book, you get to the end, and you just forget what you just read. Or when you're reading something, you can't concentrate because your mind is wandering. It's paying attention to everything going on in the environment. Or if it doesn't wander outside, it wanders inside. It starts thinking about other things. So here's the thing with focus. If I ask you to read faster, what do you think is going to happen to your comprehension? Most people, they feel like it's going to go down. Now, that's actually a myth. It's actually a lie. I think it's a myth being a rumor being spread around by slow readers. (laughs) Because in actuality, when you are learning properly when you read faster, you could actually understand more. And here's the reason why. Your brain is like this massive supercomputer. It could process an incredible amount of information. But when we read a book, we feed this supercomputer of a brain one word at a time. And even, I can't talk that slow because I'm from New York, But even when I talk that slowly, what does your mind naturally do? It starts to get aggravated, right? It gets frustrated. It starts thinking about other things. It starts to, you know, get distracted. It starts to, my mind starts to wander. Even if I was to talk that slowly, some of you would actually fall asleep. In fact, how many people use reading as a sedative? Right, You can't sleep at night. You have this token book that's been sitting by your bedstand for like weeks, an embarrassing long period of time. You associate you know, slumber to sleep. And that's a really not empowering association to have. We talk about in memory, You know, when I spoke at AFES, we said the key to long-term memory is information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. That we remember things that touch us emotionally. And but the challenge is, and we know this, right? Like there's a song or a fragrance or a food that will take you back to when you were a kid because information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory. But the challenge is back in school, what was the primary emotion you felt back in school? It's one of two things, either for most people, it's either half the class is bored and the other half the class is confused, right? But if you're bored and on a scale of zero to ten, it's like a zero, anything times zero becomes what? becomes zero. And that you wonder why all the things that you learn back in school you forget is because the state you learn something in is the state it gets coded in. Because there's three parts to memory. 
information gets encoded, it gets stored, and you need to retrieve it. But if you encode it in a lackluster state, you're not likely to remember it. And so if your state when you're reading is a sedative, you're using it to sleep, and it's a zero, that's a poor association to have towards reading. And so the reason why faster readers have better comprehension is because faster readers have better focus. Faster readers have better focus. What do I mean by that? It's similar to um, driving a car. If you're driving a car really slow, are you focused on the act of driving? No, of course not. What are you doing? You're doing five different things. You're drinking your bulletproof coffee, right? You're texting. You're having a conversation with somebody sitting with you. You're listening to music. You're thinking about the dry cleaning. You're doing five different things because you're going slowly. Now, take the opposite. Let's say you're racing cars. You're going down a racetrack as fast as you can. Do you have more or less focus? A little bit or a lot? A lot, right? Are you thinking about the dry cleaning? Are you trying to text? Are you trying to drink coffee or talk to your neighbor? Of course, you're not doing any of that. You're completely focused on what's in front of you. That's a great metaphor for reading. When you read slowly, your mind goes all different directions. But when you read more quickly, it forces your focus. And because you have better focus on what's in front of you, i.e. the book, then you have better comprehension. So the speed gives you the focus, the focus gives you the comprehension. So the reason why I want to change this myth, because I'm going to give you a brain hack on how to read faster, but if you believe if you read faster, your comprehension will go down, you're not going to use that tip, right? I see what you're doing there. Right. Yes. You've just busted a major rule about what people think it about is. reading. And, and this is, you and I have had this talk about education. You know, if everyone's going in one direction, we want to like run sometimes in the opposite direction because right. you don't want what most people have. And so the third obstacle to effective reading, I'll tell you, is the big one. It's something called sub-vocalization, sub-vocalization. This is the one that, it's the silent enemy, if you will, to your reading. It's what holds you back. It's what's keeping you behind. Now, when I say the word sub-vocalization, some of you might not know what that means. It means your inner voice. Have you ever noticed when you're reading something to yourself, you hear that inner voice inside your head reading along with you? Hopefully it's your own voice. It's not like somebody else's voice, or you don't hear like two or three voices inside your head. The reason why it's a challenge is if you have to say all the words while you read, either externally or internally, that means you can only read as fast as you could speak. Let me say that again. If you have to say all the words inside your mind to understand this book, that means your reading speed is limited to your talking speed, not your thinking speed. That's why so many of us, when we listen to podcasts or listen to audiobooks, listen to it at 1.5 or 2x, because we can understand, we just can't talk that fast. So you're limited to your talking speed. And that's why most people read at 200 or so words per minute because that's the average speaking speed. Does that make sense? Because here's the question I'm gonna ask you right now, and it's gonna blow some of your minds. Do you have to pronounce all the words in order to understand those words? If you see a word like New York City, do you have to take the time to pronounce New York City in order to understand that? And the answer, of course, is no. You've seen that word 100,000 times. You will see it another 100,000 times in your lifetime. You don't have to pronounce it because it's what they call sight words, words you know by sight. You know, especially words like the, of, there, because, and, words that you don't have to pronounce any more than you pronounce a comma when you see a comma, right? So you don't have to take the time. And that's the thing, that reading takes time. And if you want to be able to shorten that, you don't have to pronounce all the words. Like when you see a stop sign on the road, you don't say to yourself, stop in your mind, but do you comprehend what it means? Of course, 95% of the words you read on a regular basis on websites and blogs and emails and texts and books and magazines, 95% of those words you don't have to pronounce because you know exactly what those words are. So subvocalization is a challenge. The last couple of 
obstacles to effective reading. Number one was lack of education. Number two was lack of focus. Number three was subvocalization. Number four, regression. This is such a bad habit that we picked up as a kid. Have you ever read something and you found yourself back skipping and rereading words? That's a big challenge. Reading research says up to 25 to 30% of our time unconsciously is spent rereading words because we don't even realize that we're doing it. And it'd be the equivalent if you're watching a, a movie on your television and somebody's off in the corner with a remote control and every 30 seconds they're rewinding it. Every 30 seconds they're rewinding it. Is that going to help you understand that movie better? No, of course not. What is it going to do? It's going to add more time to that movie and it's going to break the flow. Uh, and that's often what happens when you're reading. And actually they'll take marketing technology where people are looking at screens for advertisements and they'll see, they could use the technology to see where your eyes are actually located and, you know, like heat maps and such like that. And they do it for marketing reasons because they want to know where your eye flow is so they could put their brand, you know, in this line of sight. But they use that same technology when people are reading and they'll actually see people's eyes going forwards and then back forwards and back. It's very erratic. And better readers have a little better rhythm and flow to their reading, if that makes sense. So back skipping. And then the fifth obstacle to effective reading, I'll add this because this is a mind valley community, is belief. Because you know the power of your thoughts. Because thoughts are things. If you believe you can or believe you can't, either way, you're right. Right? With the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. We know all of this stuff already. But what does it mean when it comes to reading? If you believe that you're a slow reader, that's what you're going to get. All behavior is belief-driven. All behavior is belief-driven. It's like a thermostat. Your beliefs are going to allow you to get to a certain point. And then here's the thing. You believe how much, how smart you are. You believe how healthy you are. You will believe in what you are in a relationship. You believe you know, how much you're worth financially. And so where are you on that scale when it comes to reading? So how do we hack some of these obstacles to effective reading? Well, the one I want to focus on in this podcast is regression and backskipping. It's the easiest one to fix because this is a bad habit we picked up as a kid. Just like subvocalization was there since we were a kid because remember sitting in that circle vision like you had to pass around the book and you know you have to read out loud to all your friends and stuff. I believe honestly that's where a lot of the fear of public speaking came from. I think that we weren't good at this skill. And who's good at something the first time you're doing it, right? And we had to go around and I was so nervous because I couldn't read when you know, it took me an extra three or four years to learn how to read. And they would pass around the book and I would get so nervous and I would just pass the book on. I couldn't even read the book. And so I think that's where a lot of fear of public speaking actually came. But the teacher had to have you read out loud so the teacher knows you're pronouncing the words correctly. But later on, do you remember when the teacher said to you, okay, class, I want you to read quietly to yourself or read silently to yourself. And that's where you took that external voice and you internalize it and it's been there ever since, right? So that self-talk can be a challenge in the context of reading. Now, how do you apply specifically though for backskipping? Well, what keeps you from backskipping is what they call a visual pacer, a visual pacer. Any of the speed reading, and it's really gotten more advanced. Like what we teach in Superbrain, for example, in the Mind Valley Quest app, is far more advanced than what was out there decades ago. Because back then, traditional speed reading was more skipping words and skimming and scanning things. But you know, our clients are world's top financial advisors, politicians, medical doctors. You don't want your medical doctor to get the gist of what she's reading, right? And so it's really about comprehension. So what does that mean? Using a visual pacer will boost your reading speed 25 to 50%. 25 to 50%. Now, is that a little bit or a lot? Like that's a lot because reading takes time and time is what? Time is money. Right. And how many people would have loved to get a 25 or 50% return on their investments last year? Right. And so here's the thing when it comes to reading, the average person that in my estimation, when I do, you know, talks around the world and online, 
is the average person says they have to read about four hours a day, processing information. A lot of times in corporations, they say it's the biggest time waster, quote unquote, meaning most of their day is spent processing data, information, knowledge, right? And so if you're reading four hours a day, if you could just double your reading speed, how much time do you save? Two hours a day. What's two hours a day of the course of a year? They're like, oh, I'll have to do some math also. That was 700 hours, right? But no, I say this, even if you save one hour a day, what's one hour a day of the course of a year? 365 hours. Now that's a pretty big number. Break it down into a 40 hour work week. How many 40 hour work weeks is that into 365 hours? That comes out to over nine work weeks. Two months of productivity you get back every year saving one hour a day. Or oh, two months of extra vacation Yeah, time, exactly. Or two, or two months, months with, of extra with, sleep. with your family or two, doing, doing you know, personal development, what, adventuring, whatever it is. You get back doing something ubiquitous you know, as reading, right? So using a visual pacer helps boost your reading speed 25 to 50% across the board. And here's the thing. Don't believe everything I'm saying. You are the expert. Test it on yourself. Now, what's visual pacer? I'm talking about your finger, a pencil, a highlighter, a mouse on a computer, anything that helps to direct your focus. Because here's the reason why it works. You're not taught to use your finger while you read, right? In fact, depending on the school system you went to, you got unique feedback with a ruler if you use your finger while you read. And I'm not saying it's conspiracy wanting to keep you slow and there's this like higher power trying to keep us from learning new information, but it's the equivalent of revisiting a tool or tactic that's been taught years ago and we haven't used some common sense around it, right? Done some research around it. So for example, computer keyboard. Like why are all the letters the way that they are? Why are the letters exactly where they are? What most people will say is, oh, they designed it because it's the optimal way to type. It's based on the frequency of what when you're using the different letters of the alphabet when you're typing. And the actually, the truth is, it's the opposite. It's actually designed to slow you down massively. It's massively inefficient. And now why would they do that though? It's because before computers and laptops and texting smart devices, what did we have? We had typewriters. And it's interesting because what would happen on a typewriter? Some of you watching this like, what's a typewriter, right? If you're typing on a typewriter and you went too fast, what would happen is the keys themselves, like the spider legs that actually put the ink on the paper, would get jammed together if you type too fast. And you would have to spend all this time trying to unravel them, right? So they actually wanted to slow you down. So that's the keyboard. Yet the keyboard from the typewriter became the keys for the computers and the smart device, everything. And we never reevaluated that. But there is actually a new keyboard that's been tested by transcribers and actually it's so much more efficient, but people are locked into their old way of doing it. So I find a lot of what we do and you do also as well, it's not so much learning, it's like unlearning. It's unlearning bad habits, it's simplifying, it's a reductionist approach to transformation, getting rid of the bad habits, right? And one of the bad habits actually, you know, like subvocalization, is actually not using your finger when you read. Because when you use your finger when you read, and all I'm saying is not speed reading, traditional speed reading, where they taught you to take your finger and go down a page or make fancy S motions or Z motions. Because if you buy a book on speed reading, that's all the book is. It's literally a bunch of pages and saying, oh, use this way or this way or this, the question mark technique. And literally going down the page like a question mark. It's kind of silly because you miss big chunks of information. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't skip anything. Underline the words, go margin to margin like that. And here's the thing. Time yourself. Make it really tested yourself. You know, you be the experiment. Read for 60 seconds, count the number of lines you read in 60 seconds, and then mark them in the margin where you left off. And then pick up where you left off using your finger while you read this time, and then 
60 seconds, put a mark in the margin where we left off, count the number of lines. That second set is, for most people, 25 to 50% boost in productivity instantaneously. Now, here's the thing. Here's the reason why it works. Number one, because adults want to know like why it works and or they're not going to do it. Number one, kids do it. All children, it's called organic learning, will naturally use their finger while they read. And they're geniuses, right? Until we educate them. <laughs> and so they use their finger while they read until we stop them to do it. Secondly, you do it. You're like, Jim, I don't use my finger when I read. I bet you 100%, all of you, when I ask you to count the number of lines you just read, will use a visual pacer to help you to keep your focus. You go one, two, three, four, five, using your finger or the pen that you're using because you know that helps you to focus. Number three reason why you use your finger while you read or a visual pacer is because your eyes are attracted to motion. Like right now, we're in the Mind Valley headquarters here, the most beautiful view ever of Kuala Lumpur. But still, when I see a plane go by or a bird fly by, my eyes, you'll see, will go here because your eyes are wired to look at what moves. Because as a hunter-gatherer, it's your survival. You're in a bush and you're hunting you know, lunch, right? A rabbit or a carrot, whatever your diet is and a bush next to you moves, you have to look at what moves because number one, it's your survival. Number one, it could be lunch, or number two, you could be lunch. So either way, you have to look at what moves in your environment. And when your finger is going through the page and you're underlining the words, your attention is being pulled through the book as opposed to your attention being pulled apart and being distracted, right? The fourth reason why you want to use your finger while you read is certain senses are very closely wired together in your nervous system. What do I mean by that? Have you ever tasted, Vision, like a great piece of fruit? Like something that hasn't been waxed and sprayed and sitting in a grocery store, but like right from the farmer's market or right from the vine. Have you ever tasted a great tasting peach before, right? In actuality, you're not tasting the peach. In actuality, you're smelling the peach because your tongue's not capable of tasting what a peach tastes like. Now, the reason why is in your nervous system, your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked. They're so intertwined that your mind doesn't perceive the difference. It perceives the difference, though, when you're sick. When your nose is congested, what does food taste like? It tastes like bland, right? Because your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked in your nervous system. As your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked, so is your sense of sight and your sense of touch. It's wired in your nervous system. In fact, when you're with the toddler and if you had your keys and you say, look at my keys, look at my keys, what's that toddler naturally do? Going to reach out and what? And touch them and grab them because they associate sight with touch. In fact, when people use their finger when they read, what they'll tell me anecdotally is that I don't know what's going on, Jim. I feel more in touch with my reading. In fact, when people lose their sense of sight, how do they read? They use Braille. They use Braille. They use their sense of touch when they read. And so what I'm saying, neurologically, when you use your finger while you read, or a visual pacer, pen highlighter, again, a mouse on your computer to help keep your visual pacer, your eyes on the page here and help move it forward, instead of going back, skipping and regressing and rereading whole lines again like that, you're going to save time. And that number, again, is going to be 25 50% boost. I mean, that's an incredible level of efficiency. That puts you at a huge advantage for people who are struggling to catch up, to keep up, to be able to get ahead. And when you're reading on a digital device, I would just say, whether it's on a book or not, is just be right above the page. Just right above the page because you don't want to swipe on it. Plus, as you're reading faster, there's this thing called friction and I burn so many books that way, right? And then catch them on fire that way. But the goal is to be able to do that. And here's the other tip also, as you're here with me, is just from be clear about your posture. So many people take a book and they put it on a desk in front of them. The challenge is when it's on a desk like this, 
the words become smaller at this angle if you're keeping upright posture. This is a visual posture. The challenge is in what most people have is a bad habit. If they're riding on the train or on an airplane or they just have bad posture in general, is they know it's more difficult to read at an angle if the book is set on a table. So what do they do? To compensate, they bend their head down. The challenge is if you bend your head, you're collapsing your diaphragm. And first of all, the lower one third of your lungs absorbs two thirds of the oxygen. So you found yourself getting tired. That could be the reason why is your posture. But the other reason why it's a challenge, it gets you at that visual state. So what I would say is to make sure if you're not going to change your posture, make sure you tilt the book so you can see the book more head on. The other tip I would say is you're reading going left to right here like this, going left to right, underlining the words is you don't have to go margin to margin because you have this thing called peripheral vision. Like there's foveal vision where foveal is your focus vision and you see a fixation, they call it in reading, where you can see, if you stare at a letter, you can see like the word to the left to the word to the right. So the best readers, what they do is they relax their eyes so they can absorb more. Like one of the things we do in the um, Super Brain Quest is during these implementation days, we teach people how to juggle. And first of all, there was a study done in Oxford University saying jugglers have bigger brains. Literally, they create more white matter in their brain. And it's very powerful because as your body moves, your brain grooves. But the other reason why I train jugglers is because when you're juggling, you can't see all three balls with just two eyes, right? You can't foveal vision and focus on all three balls. So you have to relax your eyesight so you could take in more of what's in front of you. And that's similar to when you read because you want to take in more words because does that make it easier or harder to read? It's much easier when you can take in more words. But what I'm saying here with your peripheral vision, when you're underlining the words, here's another reading hack, is don't go margin to margin. You could actually come indent a half an inch or so, well, depending on how many centimeters you're reading in, not only to left, not only to right, because as you're going left to right, your peripheral vision will pick up that to the left and to the right. So you actually save time like that. And again, when you compound this, yes, you'll save time, maybe 20, 30 minutes on every hour when you read, but over the course of a week, over the course it's of massive. a month, over the course of a year, saving one hour and getting nine weeks, two months of productivity, I mean, that's a, that's a life changer. Right. So let me try to recap. Okay. So the first thing is understanding that education models teach us an outdated model of reading. Most of us learn to read between the ages of like four to six, and we continue reading that way for the rest of our lives. We never go back and learn how to read faster. The second thing is breaking that false belief that if you speed up your reading, your comprehension is going to go down. That is simply not true. Yeah. But that's what holds many people back from reading faster. The third one is subvocalization, eliminating subvocalization, which is basically saying aloud every word as you read it. And the fourth one is backskipping. And you talk, you spoke about pacing to overcome backskipping. And finally, the fifth one is simply the belief that you can read faster. It's shifting that belief That's system. That's amazing. And then you spoke about two additional things. You spoke about posture and you spoke about peripheral vision. Okay, see, I can remember this because I took Jim's super brain quest. Jim, there was one thing that's leaving a big gap for me to understand, and that is how do we eliminate subvocalization? That's my big issue. Yeah, so that inner talk, you'll never, first of all, you'll never completely eliminate it. I mean, when I read slowly, and there's certain things, by the way, you can never read any faster than you could understand information, nor would you want to, right? If somebody doesn't understand Russian, reading it faster is not going to help you understand it better, right? Here's the difference, though. I noticed there's a golf course, like, you know, in one of the views here. It's kind of like golf. It's imagine having, for those people who play golf, I mean, or don't play golf, you have many different clubs to choose from. And whoever has the most 
options there are more likely to win, according to game theory, right? And so, but imagine having to play golf with just one club, and that would be really difficult to do. Here's the thing when it comes to reading. Most people are just reading at 200 words a minute, and they read everything at 200 words a minute. It doesn't matter what they're reading, something technical, something fiction, light fiction, they read everything the same because that's how they're trained. My goal with teaching people to read better is not just to read faster, but to read smarter, right? That's why we spend so much time on focus and comprehension, because people can understand what they're reading better, they can read it faster. That aside, when we teach people to read 300, 400, 500, 600 or more words per minute, they don't read everything at 600 words per minute. Even when I read something technical, I have to slow down because I can only read as fast as I can understand something. But at least the trained readers, have variable, meaning they can read at 200 words a minute, 300, 600, when they need to, because there's some information that you're reading that you want to go deep into it. You want to hear the nuance of the sound. You want to subvocalize because it's poetry or it's really deep fiction. You want to hear the words in your head because that's part of your reading goals. But some reading that you know about and you just want to get through it, maybe it's a documents or it's a plan or it's maybe something you know already or you're studying for a test and you already have some background, they call it schema, background information, then you could speed up and slow down. And that's a trained reader does. When they're going through a book, sometimes I'll read through it fast or I know this already, fast, 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 and I'll slow down in the areas I don't quite understand. So let me say that up front. So you'll always subvocalize when you slow down. You'll never get rid of it completely. A couple of quick tips, because this is different than a training course, like going through an actual quest where we could actually train something, a new technique and stuff. A couple of quick brain hacks. So there's a difference between a tip and a training, right? A couple of tips to lower and reduce your subvocalization. I'll give you two. Number one, they call it counting. That you could retrain your subvocalization by when you're reading, instead of saying the words inside your head, start counting. So when I'm reading this book, for example, I'm going through it. And instead of saying the systems of the future, and I'm going to ask you to do this exercise with me and saying it inside my mind, I'm going and reading, but this time I'm going one, two, three, four, five. And I'm counting inside my mind. And the idea here is you can't have two conversations going on once. And if you're counting, you're going to interrupt and break the pattern of actually saying the words. Second tip to be able to do this is some people actually move their lips when they read. And you could see them when they're reading, they could have these little micro movements. We were just talking about a memory technique on how FDR memorized everyone's name in the White House and so on. He would use like little, like um, imagine their names and yeah, I would say micro movements. They use these micro lip movements when they read. And one of the ways of interrupting that, and remember it's breaking habits and breaking patterns, is some people will bite on something and that, like their knuckles, I don't think it's very sanitary, but they like chew gum or they bite on something to be able to right. interrupt that actual physical pattern to do that. And those are a couple of quick tips you could do to be able to reduce your subvocalization. Awesome, Jim. Thank you. That's really, really, really cool. So as we wrap up this podcast, and I love how you went so deep, just listening to this podcast should already significantly improve your reading speed. Thank you for everything you covered. And if you guys want to know more about Jim Quick, uh, here are a couple of resources. Number one, check out Jim's podcast. It's a phenomenal podcast. And tell them yeah, what they can people access can just On your podcast app on your phone, just search my name, Jim Quick, K-W-I. Make sure you get the spelling right. It's K-W-I-K. It's really my last name. It's my father's name, my grandfather's name. I didn't change it to do this. My life, my dharma, my mission, you know, it just comes with my name. I, I love how you lived up to your name. Yeah, I had to be a runner back in school with a lot of pressure when it says quick, you know, right there. I'd 
be careful with speeding tickets. That's really bad when your driver's license says quick, you're not going to talk your way out of the ticket. So the best way is the podcast. We have a 10 minute podcast where it's just, I teach you brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. It's a great podcast. Um, and then the second thing is you and I are very active on social media. And so for this podcast specifically, take a screenshot of it and post it on social media, tag Vision, tag myself, so I could properly thank you for listening and post your big questions on Twitter and, and Facebook and on Instagram at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K. And that's the, really the best way. And, and two other resources for you, go to Mindvalley's YouTube channel. So yes. YouTube, Mindvalley, and there's a whole playlist of the best videos we've recorded with Jim. And they have hundreds of thousands of views. Right, well, one of them just became like one of our fastest growing videos ever. It hit like half a million views in, in record time. But there's a video there which is really beautiful, it is on Jim's daily habits. And we follow Jim oh, in the morning wow. yeah, I remember that. and we break down the 10 things he does to optimize his brain. Everyone, everyone's always talking about morning routines. You know, right. Oprah has morning there and, and Tony Robbins. My, my 10 things I do are very specific to jumpstart my brain to really win the day. Yeah, and so it's, definitely all watch that, that it's all in that video. And the third thing is, if you really want to go deep and become a super learner, take the super brain quest yes. with Valley. Jim is teaching that quest. And quests start on a particular date I don't know when the next Superbrain starts, but it's all on mindvalley.com. Just check out mindvalley.com. Click on programs, click on meta learning, and Superbrain is right over there. And typically what happens is why it starts on a particular date is because quests are designed for community learning. One of the principles of learning is that you learn with fellow students. And so 3,000 people join at the same time, and Jim guides them 10 to 15 minutes a day on an upgrade of their learning model. And at the end of 30 days, you've figured out everything from how to learn languages faster, to read faster, to improve your memory, to remember names, to completely change your paradigm of what aging and the brain and learning means to you. I literally so, get tagged 100 times a day on social media for people going through a super brain yeah, quest. I mean, it, it, is, it is life-changing for them and their families, their children. It's absolutely incredible. And the other thing I would say about super brain, when we were making it with your team, it's so much fun. People are just really getting engaged. They're right. videotaping themselves, speaking different languages. There's somebody in the private Facebook group for it. There's somebody on there actually memorized like two minutes of poetry, word for word. She says she's been trying to do that for years. Wow. And she applied this method I teach actors how to memorize script. And she literally goes two minutes and it, there's a hundred comments uh, from other Quest uh, users that uh, just like cheering her on. And, and it's amazing what, what you can do. I brought my 10-year-old son into it and he's memorizing the periodic table of elements. They haven't even started teaching it in school, but he's memorizing it's it. Such an event. And he's 10. So thank you guys for joining us. Hope you guys enjoyed this upgrade in your learning style with Jim Quick. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.